from Eagle River, Alaska. This is the third Sunday of Easter. And our first reading is from the book of Acts, chapter 2, verses 36 to 41, Psalm 116. Second reading is 1 Peter, chapter 1, 17 to 23. And the gospel is the, from the Gospel of Luke, chapter 24, verses 13 to 35. Alleluia, Christ is risen. The Lord is risen indeed. Alleluia. And on this third Sunday of Easter, my friends, may the peace of the Lord be with you. If Luke's most excellent account of the prodigal son has claimed to be the finest story Jesus ever told, this morning's reading of the two on the road to Emmaus must have an equal claim to be the finest scene the gospel writer ever sketched. It's simply a masterpiece. Come and walk with me as we meet the risen Savior Jesus once again. Luke begins this seven-mile journey with, Now on that same day. So let's stop right there and figure out what day this is. Looking in our Bibles, just a few verses back to the beginning of this chapter, chapter 24, Luke writes, But on the first day of the week, at early dawn, they came to the tomb. It's the first Easter Sunday, the first day of the week. It's an important turning point in all of human history. In fact, I will say it is the most important day, the most important turning point in all of human history. Luke is saying in his good news, this is a new beginning, a new direction, a new start, new life, new creation. And it's not just for one group of people, it's for all of human history. And not since the time of Adam and Eve in Genesis does the world have this opportunity presented to it. And we too have the same opportunity today for a new beginning, to start in a new direction, to begin a new way to live. Luke writes, Now on that same day, two of the disciples were going to a village called Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. Everything in the Gospel of Luke up to this point flows towards Jerusalem. So what's wrong with the two disciples walking on the road to Emmaus? Well, it's the wrong way. From the beginning of Luke's gospel, everybody, everything flows towards Jerusalem. But on this day, the third day, two of the disciples are going the wrong way. Those two disciples actually symbolize all of us. They symbolize all of us sinners, all of us disciples, who although we know the way we should be going, we keep getting it wrong. We find ourselves walking towards trouble and away from where we should be going. But here's the good news, my friends. Despite these two being walking on the wrong road, the wrong way, Jesus still comes and walks alongside them. And Jesus still comes and walks alongside us as well on our journey when we're on the wrong road. The technical term for this is the primacy of grace, or God's love for us is so great that no matter where we find ourselves, God comes to us. Jesus finds us. We don't need to perform a certain task or say a certain thing for God, our God, to love us. 
come and find us and walk alongside us. Luke goes on to write, they, While they were talking and discussing, Jesus himself came near and went with them, but their eyes were kept from recognizing him. Now that's strange, isn't it? In Easter week's gospel reading from the Gospel of John, the two disciples who entered the tomb didn't see the angels, but Mary, who was crying, did see the angels. But then a few moments later, Mary at first didn't recognize Jesus, but mistook him to be the gardener. Hmm, curious. What keeps folks from recognizing the risen Lord? Well, nevertheless, Jesus walks up to them, these two on the road, and says something like, what's up? Now, here's the point. These two are on the wrong road, headed in the wrong direction, and instead of saying something like, hey, you two, why are you going the wrong way? Jesus invites them into a conversation by simply opening up with the statement of, hi, what's going on? There are two points on the subject of evangelism I want to make here. Yes, this is an evangelistic text. First, Jesus meets these two where they're at. Thus, in our evangelistic efforts, we too must meet people where they are at, especially in our day and age. People are not walking into churches, therefore we as Christ bearers must walk towards them. Second, Jesus doesn't berate these two for being on the wrong road, doesn't pontificate from on high to them about being on the wrong way. No wagging the moral finger in the face. Well, why? Well, simply it doesn't work. Especially in this moral a, a relative, especially in this age of moral relativism. Thus, in our evangelistic efforts, not only should we meet people where they are at, but as we meet folks in their world, we should w work to earn the right to be heard. May I suggest in our evangelistic efforts, our first step of primal grace is to move into a person's world, and the second is to walk with them, even if they're walking the wrong way, and then ask them, what's on your mind? What do you want to talk about? Luke goes, to, go, look, Luke goes on to write, They stood still, looking sad. And then one of them, whose name was Cleopas, answered him, Are you the only stranger in Jerusalem who does not know the things that have taken place there in these days? Or in other words, uh, haven't you been reading the newspaper? Or you really mean to say you really don't know what's happened here? Ironically, even though having been the main character in the plot these days, Jesus simply says, what things? And Jesus once again invites these two who are on the wrong road into a deeper conversation. Jesus lets them vent, so to speak. They're sad for a re reason. Their team hadn't just lost the Super Bowl. The entire Jewish nation had just lost all hope of a future life. Cleopas says the things about Jesus of Nazareth, who was a prophet, mighty indeed, and word before God and all the people, and how our chief priests and leaders handed him over to be condemned to death and crucified him. But we had hoped that he was the one to redeem Israel. Cleopas says all the facts, all the data, all the details correct on Jesus. 
that he was a prophet, mighty indeed in word. The chief priests and leaders handed him over to death. And then he states, but we had hoped he was the redeemer. Now it's the third day. Notice he doesn't say it's the first day of the week. He says it's the third day. And the tomb was found empty this morning. And then the unsaid thought, but no one really rises from the dead. You see, they had lost all hope for their future. All the disciples had lost all hope. The entire nation who had believed in Jesus had lost all hope for a future. They had the data. They had the facts. They had the details correct, yet they still couldn't see. It's not just a 33 AD issue, though, is it? Many today, us sinners today, most of us have the data, the facts, the details on this Jesus of Nazareth. Yet folks are unable to see because people don't come back from the dead, do they? Or do they? Many still cannot. Many still refuse not to see. A recent Wall Street Journal and University of Chicago study reveals that our society today has lost has also lost much, if not all, hope. None of us needs a study to tell us this, but just in case you like studies, here's what they found. Over the last 25 years, Americans who described patriotism as either important or very important fell from 70% to 38%. Those who valued religion fell from 62% to 39%. The need to have children fell from 59% to 30%. The need for community involvement fell from 47% to 27%. And the percentage of Americans' tolerance for one another has fallen from an 80% down to a 58%. Not surprisingly, only one value out of 10 increased, and that was the value for the need of money and went from 31% to 43%. In our world, in our country, our state, and our community, hope is a vanishing value. That vanishing hope has led many, as many of us here today have personally felt, to personal loss through the painful, ill-timed death and self-inflicted loss of a loved one. But there is reason to hope, my friends, And that reason is that Jesus of Nazareth did, in fact, bodily rise from the grave and open the door of hope for all of us through a loving relationship with the God of heaven. Now watch this. Then Jesus said to them, Oh, how foolish you are and how slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have declared. Accompaniment? Yes, always. Not being judgmental in our day and age, a must. Not wagging the moral finger in the face, for sure. Primacy of grace, indeed. But notice Jesus' move here as he senses a decisive moment in the conversation. These are two disciples who have apparently been with Jesus for some time, if not up to the entire three years of his public ministry. They have the facts down. They know the data. They just need some help to see. Now, in their defense, dead men don't come back. 
But this is the first day of the week, and here Jesus, as he continues to walk the wrong way with these two, begins to turn the conversation towards the truth and then to gently teach. Jesus goes to what they know, the Old Testament, and from Moses forward opens up the scriptures to them. And when one earns the right to be heard, as Jesus had, er, has, had earned, ears tend to open and eyes tend to clear up. Trust goes a long way. No one cares how much you know until they know how much you care. And these two sensed and quickly knew how much this supposed stranger walking with them actually cared. Now jumping ahead a bit in the pericope, Jesus is now at table with the two disciples. Jesus takes the bread, blesses it, then breaks it, and then gives it to them. Then their eyes were opened, the scriptures tell us. Now do you recall the first meal recorded in the Bible? That first meal consisting only of fruit. Oh yeah, way back there in the book of Genesis. Eve and Adam took that first bite, and then what happened? And then their eyes were opened. In this story, the disciples' eyes are opened while sharing a new type of meal. Wow, God really knows how to write a story, doesn't he? Well, what is the Eucharist but the story of Jesus giving his body, shedding his blood through suffering, and then giving us a meal to relieve that suffering? That suffering first caused by ourselves in the eating of a meal. The eyes of the two on the wrong road are now opened, and they connected the dots. They put together the data with the meaning. It started on that seven-mile journey when they said, were not our hearts burning within us while he was opening the scriptures to us? And you as well. As we open up the scriptures together, were not our hearts burning through Lent, through the week of the Passion, on Easter Sunday, and now even today? Jesus then vanishes from their sight. Where does he go? Jesus vanishes into the mission of the church. The point is not so much that Jesus vanishes, but that the two who are on the wrong road immediately get on the right road, and they head back to Jerusalem. They go and tell the others, their family, their friends, the Lord has risen indeed, and he has appeared. Well, perhaps you've already seen the so what for today, but this story is really about our liturgy of worship lived out for us. We start out our worship with the Word, and then we move to the Eucharist. And after the Eucharist, we then move to our post-Eucharistic prayer, where we pray together the words, Send us now into the world in peace, and grant us strength and courage to love and serve you with gladness and singleness of heart. Like all cinders, blinded by our own desires, we all start off on the wrong road, headed down the wrong path. And then a servant of the risen Lord comes alongside us and says, Hi, what's up? And lets us vent a bit. Then at the right moment, that servant of the living, loving, liberating Son of God opens up the scriptures for us, and our hearts are strangely warmed. Then our eyes are opened when we recognize who Jesus truly is. And perhaps for you, that was some time ago. Perhaps for you, it was today. No matter. 
I ask you now to go. Find someone to walk with. Go now in peace to love and serve the Lord. And may God grant you strength and courage with gladness and singleness of heart. Amen. Thank you.